If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter five. We're gonna be in this chapter today. We've been studying Proverbs throughout the summer. We started, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, and we got maybe a week or two left. I don't know, I'll pray about it, and we'll see where we are next week. Last week, we discussed Proverbs 4.23. I gave you a homework assignment. And for all of you who missed or didn't hear it on the podcast, we're like, sweet, I missed that one. But for the rest of you, it was to memorize it, that whopping verse. I wonder if you did it. I'm not gonna ask you for a show of hands. I won't publicly shame you all and put like, have you stand on the side of the room. But I know that for me, quick testimony, we did this as a family unit. I got my little kids and we've been working through that verse and they memorized it so quickly. Well, the five and four-year-old, the one-year-old, not really, but she tried. She kind of mumbled along. The other ones picked it up. I was shocked. The next day I said, all right, you guys know the, the verse we memorized? And Roman just rattled it off. And I thought, I, I was like, I, you know, I usually need a moment to kind of think like, what's, the, what's it about again? I thought, man, that kid's brain is a blank slate. Mine's got decades of gunk in there. It takes a while to bring it all up. So he was, he was good with that. So we went and we got ice cream, which I mentioned last week too. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna use what I was talking about as a church. Well, today we have a very similar, we have another verse and instead of chapter 423, it's chapter 523. So for the sake of just you know, repetition and helping you remember it, it's chapter 523. Although the whole chapter of five is quite intense, we're gonna look at the, the last section of it. This verse goes like this. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Today's discussion is on discipline, and not the kind that's like disciplining your children, and uh, not the kind that's like a, a field of study, you know, like a discipline in academics, but the role of discipline in our lives. Think of it as the intentional training to develop a better skill or to cultivate a stronger characteristic in your life. So when we discipline ourselves in a certain area, we want to improve in that area of our life. And in a room this size, I suspect that there are areas that some of us are more disciplined in than others. And there are other areas that, you know, those of you who are not disciplined in category one, you are disciplined in category two. For instance, let me just name a handful of areas, and I think this relates to all of us in one way or another. When it comes to physical exercise, some of us are more disciplined in physical fitness than others. Some of you tell me, you're like, I get up at 5 a.m. Think of 5 a.m. Like, if I'm waking up that early, it's because the kids are crying. I'm not getting up to work out at that time of the day. Some of us are more disciplined with work than others. You know, those of you, there's only a handful of you, but y'all who are farmers, that is disciplined work. There is no days off, even on Sunday. Like, there is always work to do. Some of you, if you were farmers, well, none of us would have food to eat because of your work ethic. <laughs> Just, whew, glad you're not the farmer, you know. You know. Make me something else. Some of us are more disciplined relationally uh, with friendships than others, you know. So this has produced for you a bountiful network of community that you live in and others live in more isolation. Some of us are more disciplined spiritually than others and this means that you have 
grown and cultivated and discovered the joy of walking with the Lord and worshiping him every day and throughout the day. This flows through you and this is manifested by you know, gathering on Sunday morning for worship and your daily time walking with the Lord. Some of us are more disciplined as students in school or being an apprentice on the job so you advance further in those areas. I don't know why, but this morning I was just thinking over this and thought, I'm really glad for electricians that they know well what to do when they're doing it. If you are not good in that and you just advance in that area and uh, start you know, connecting stuff and plugging stuff in, you're gonna threaten all of us or a home, right? So we want people to know what they're doing. And then also those of us who are more disciplined in our marriage, uh, for those of you who are married, that produces a strong bond of love and fidelity. Right? Others are not disciplined in that area and then that produces adultery and all sorts of hardships, uh, which is what Proverbs 5 addresses in most of its entirety. Now, I wonder for you, which ways are you disciplined? Which ways would you say you're disciplined? The legacy you leave is the product of your discipline and lack of discipline. Over the course of time, it produces a life and a legacy. And... Uh, what is it that you are producing? Now, as we walk through this today, I recognize that for most of us here, you guys are overburdened, overworked, overstressed, lack of sleep, lack of eating well, and you just kind of are getting through life day by day. You're like, today, it's just a win. I'm in the seat. And there's a place where that happens for many of us. And so as we work through this, I, I don't want any of you to feel just this overwhelming lump of shame that, listen, at the end of the day, your whole life is in disarray and you need to just, you know, you need a life coach in every single area or something like that. Uh, instead, let's listen, and my prayer has been that you'd be able to hear from the Lord the specific or precise areas that he is addressing in your heart. So the enemy is just gonna be like, you just stink at all these areas. Uh, but God will say, you know, yeah, I need you to rest. Or, uh, you, you know, in this, in this relationship, I need you to be faithful. You need to be patient in this, in this moment. You, 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 you know, we gotta cycle back through in that situ situation. Whatever it may be. He's very specific. And my goal as we work through Proverbs 5.23 is to help you to prayerfully assess where and how your life exalts God in your decisions and habits. And so if there are areas that you're disciplined, that you would be filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude that God, by his grace, has just filled you with an ability to be disciplined in this area or that area. That's not by your own merit. This is God at work within us. And then for those of us who are, uh, or, or, and then the areas you're, you're undisciplined, that again, rather than just feeling shame and like I'm just a worthless person, no, no, none, none of that stuff, but instead to recognize the danger of what you are allowing into your life or your household and how according to Proverbs 5.23, it leads to great destruction. And if there is this area, and it could be in a marriage, it could be in any of these other areas we have, we've mentioned, then we need to get a hold of that. Take that to the cross and allow God to give us the right direction in those areas. So back to Proverbs 5.23. Let me reread this passage for us. I'm gonna read a few verses before it to give you the context and we'll, we'll work through it. So starting in verse 21, 
it says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Now, I'm gonna reread it because I don't have it on the screen today. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, and the cords of their sins hold them fast. For the lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. The tragic outcome of a life that lacks discipline is death. Earthly death and ultimately spiritual death if you are apart from Jesus Christ. Now notice who is responsible for that death as the language says here. It says, for lack of discipline they will die. They are led astray by their own great folly. Who is it that is led astray and by whose folly? Well, this person in the proverb, their own lack of discipline. They are led astray, or even the language, the the actual word is intoxicated by their own great foolishness. Now, many images come to mind with this sort of scenarios or stories, but the one that rises to the top is the idea of somebody who goes to Vegas with like $5,000 in their pocket and they're ready to just like have fun or make money or something. And what happens after the course of a weekend? They got no money. They lost all their money from the rest of their checking account. They have lost their home and their car and the clothes on their back and they're just like leaving totally tarnished. This idea of somebody who lives in such foolishness that they are left with nothing. It's not like they get a little bit and, and then a lot of fun memories. No, we're talking devastation in their life. And you could apply that same idea, not just to the gambler in Vegas who's out of control, but you could apply it to any of these scenarios I already talked through whether it's work ethic, uh, relationships, marriage, uh, parenting, being a student, whatever it may be. Listen to how those verses in Proverbs 5 in this scenario, how they contrast somebody who's wise. Proverbs chapter 9 says it this way. 1 through 6 says, Wisdom has built her house, and she has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed the wine. She has set also her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, hey, come and eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Friends, wisdom produces life and foolishness produces, in the case of today, It leads to death, this lack of discipline. Now, I'm not sure in which way, again, you may be lacking in discipline. I work through all these scenarios because at times of my own life, this has been true. That's why I named these elements there. But as you think through the areas of lack of discipline, think about what the Apostle Paul wrote, and he addresses this at length in the New Testament. So Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, well, I only live it by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's Galatians. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27 says this, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Another way, the literal language there is, I pummel my body and I make it a slave. And then he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And he's not just talking about himself because a few verses before that he mentions the collective church family. 
If you do not rule the flesh, friends, it will rule you. And it will not just rule you in one area or another or a little bit, like give it 1%, it'll eat 100, right? So you gotta keep it under control. Think of what Colossians 3, 5 says. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, that part of your nature that you are born into as a human being. It names these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And that's just a handful of lists. But it specifically says put to death, and that's what I urge us to consider. Because a lot of us say, I won't put it to death, I'll just lock it in our room. <laughs> or I'll just uh, put it in time out for the weekend because I got church tomorrow. But Monday, I'll, uh, I'll like bring it, bring it back out. We'll, like, we'll play with that. Romans 8, 6 says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, working through all these, I'm, I, I'm, I'm wanting you to see just the, the, the contrast between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit and how there is a war at stake and we must be disciplined to put to death that flesh. Our default setting is rebellion to God. And these verses describe it this way. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. And Galatians 5, 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As you think about being disciplined and what it looks like to walk in a disciplined, holy life. If you're saying, well, I just struggle with this. Well, join the club. That's called being a human. And we all do in one way or another because our flesh wars against us as the language here in Galatians 5, 17 says, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Or, and, and this isn't even the American want to do things and we just want to do all sorts of things. This is a, this is a sanctified, the language here is this sanctified, somebody's walking in the will of the Lord. They're wanting to honor him with their life and yet their flesh is at war within them. So today as we consider the role of discipline in all walks of life, let's be reminded that the flesh is at a battle against us in our holy pursuit of God and in living according to the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. If God says go left, the flesh says go right. When God says give, our flesh says keep. When God says go, our flesh says stay. When God says lead, our flesh says hide. That happened with, uh, with Gideon, remember that? Oh, mighty man of valor, get out of, the, get out of that threshing floor and go do your job. And this is why we need God's daily grace to lead us. This is why when we surrender to God's ways and not our own, we experience him working through us. And so the lack of discipline, it leads to things like uncontrolled anger and adultery and laziness and greed and overall unhealthy, bad fruit that nobody wants to eat. But a godly and wise disciplined life leads to godliness and pure worship. Now, to topics like this uh, is really popular right now in podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff. Sometimes the term is self-mastery. Uh, this, uh, this is taught in all sorts of different religious groups and other other 
you know, disciplines and stuff like that. But as Christians, friends, we have a different motivation because our primary pursuit and goal and uh, focus is not our own good, but it is God, his good and his glory. And for him, he is at the top. And then from that, there's the trickle-down effect in our own lives, in the lives of our family members, our friends, our church, our society, even our nation. But it begins with God and his glory. Think of 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so we want to be a people who glorify God with our lives. This is not just a matter of, well, you know, I just don't feel like being disciplined. It's like, well, you don't really get that option. Because if you're going to live a life that's glorifying to God, then this is what we are to do. The question is, again, what are we to do? What does this discipline look like? And, and I would guess, and this is where, you know, we're too large for a small group here, but if we went around the room, there'd be a lot of similarities, but this would look very different, maybe even just in the smallest nuances in your life versus the person next to you and, and how this lives out. And so we gotta be careful of just having this uh, blanket statement about everything, um, so my only blanket statement is glorify God with your life and watch this effect in these different areas. I'd like to circle back on some of those opening topics I mentioned because I think these are the ways the enemy attacks most frequently and also in our church family in certain ways. And uh, I, I would su I'd submit that it's because these two areas specifically are massive threats to the enemy. And so he is relentless in attacking you in these areas and not just you, but loved ones and friends and this church family and even as a society. And so let's talk through a few of these topics. I've got, I've got two, of us, uh, two for us today. The, the first is this area of marriage. Now I recognize that not everyone in our church is married. If you include all of our kids, you know, we're only looking at like 40% of our church or 60% is probably married, about 40% are single or so. You know, a lot of children are not. They shouldn't be, they're five years old. But I'm just letting you know, as you think about these matters, when it comes to growing in our faith and walking in the ways of knowing God, uh, not all of it is marriage specific, but all of us are giving advice to other people regarding this. If you're familiar with chapter five from Proverbs, you'll know that most of the section deals with the warnings against adultery. And Solomon famously says in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. And it's a, it's a great colloquial statement. And the caution is true for every married person, right? Because Satan attacks marriages. Marriages, marriage is one of God's first covenants and, uh, and, and descriptions and institutions that he gave to his, his people and his creation. And Satan has devised ways to divide that human union since the beginning of time. And so think of this way. You wanna destroy a family? Satan's like, yeah, let's attack the marriage. You wanna destroy kids' trust? Yeah, let's attack a marriage. You wanna destroy a picture of God's covenant with man? Attack the marriage. You wanna destroy the first sacred union God instituted with the apple of his eye, right? His very own creation that he put his thumbprint on will attack the marriage. You wanna destroy a generation and a nation? Attack the marriage, beginning, uh, or be, attack a family beginning with a marriage. So it, it is not... I don't feel like I have to defend that Satan attacks marriage. It's just that's, that's the way this works. And so uh, for those of you who are, are uh, we have several uh, young adults 
in our church family, yet to be married. Uh, children, they're growing up, got a lot of teenagers, younger ones for sure. Hey, well, as they get older and they start thinking about, hey, I'm, I wanna get married, remind them, marriage is wonderful, but it's also a battlefield. Don't rush into it. Don't just, this is not just buying a car. You know, you can sell that later. It doesn't work that way with marriage. So if I had a, you know, a certain uh, ambition today, it's to burn in you, those of you who are married or have conversations with others regarding marriage, and I'd say that happens all the time, even if that's not your own life situation right now. It's to burn in you that your marriage is worth fighting for. I wanna instill in you endurance during relational hardship, which every one of you will encounter in one way or another. You can quit your job, but don't quit on your marriage. And uh, with rare exception, I'd say the, the threat in your marriage is not your spouse, it's Satan who's at work and stirring division. Unlike, once in a while, you all get the privilege of officiating a wedding. You get asked to do that. I get asked that all the time. And it's a unique role as a pastor because you stand before two people who are starry-eyed, and so excited to be married. And once in a while, not, not too often in my tenure as a pastor, but once in a while, a year later, that same couple calls. And they are, well, they're, they're convinced that they're married to the wrong person, and then there's all sorts of um, mess involved there. And it's so interesting to have two people who uh, just, you know, a short time before, we're convinced they should be together, and a short time later, convinced they should be apart. As we think about uh, marriage, we gotta recognize when it comes to what God says about marriage is it, it's not a Disney movie, and it's not some romantic novel where you just chase after your heart in every single little moment. We learned about this even last week. Guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. And if you don't guard your heart, it's gonna kill you because it's gonna take you to places you shouldn't go. Unlike these, those things, God's word teaches us things like Hebrews 13, four. It says, let the marriage be held in high honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And so I'm not sure where you stand, uh, you know, what's going on in your family and in your marriage right now. Many of you in here are married or considering that. But would you consider making a fresh commitment to God to cultivate a healthy marriage and to grow in that? I'm convinced that a healthy marriage takes discipline. Being faithful, having fidelity, literally takes discipline because your flesh wars against that discipline. Satan definitely does. Our world ain't supporting that at all. And so it's not like you got a whole bunch of buddies who are cheerleading you on to be faithful. That doesn't always happen. It should in your small groups in our church, but I'm talking work friends or whatever. And so would you consider today making a fresh commitment to God? If this is the area, you know, it's not exercise, it's, it's not your work, but it's your marriage. If this is the area that you need discipline in, Do not take that stirring from God lightly because the fallout is massive. The fallout from not working out 
and exercising is, you know, you get a little tubbier, yeah. But when it comes to, uh, to your marriage, the fallout's worse. Uh, an idea I have that um, we haven't totally figured out what this looks like, because nobody knows, because I haven't told anybody. Uh, but, so I haven't figured out. But an idea I have is once we buy this barn for us to have like um, marriage renewals and stuff, you know, and like allow this space to be used for that. And so maybe that's something that as you're thinking through where you're at as a couple, we could use this space to do that, right? All right, so that's the first area uh, of discipline. The second one is our walk with God. Uh, Again, like marriage, Satan attacks our walk with God. He is relentless in this. He does this all the time. You're like, all right, you're all geared up. You love gathering. We're here. We're worshiping. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to enhance and strengthen my marriage. And then you walk out of here, and then the enemy's just like smacks you in the face with all these things, a mixture of temptations and stresses, brings you things to mind that weren't even on your mind for the last week or so, and instantly you kind of lose, lose track. But our walk with God is something to be disciplined in. First Timothy 4.8 says it this way, for physical training is of some value, uh, for Americans, it's of a lot of value. <laughs> he, was, he was writing to a bunch of Greeks who were walking everywhere. But for physical trainings of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, right? So there is promise, there is value, there is good in our godly spiritual training in the earthly and then definitely the eternal Your most prized relationship on earth should be in your oneness with God. I know for some of you, you're like, hey, I love my spouse. Others, you're like, I love my kids. For others, you're like, I love my dog. And like, hey, listen, those are all good things. But your walk with God is even more important and more valuable. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and live like him. So scripture's clear that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried and he rose again. And all who sincerely believe in him will have eternal life. So how dare we just take that free gift and then tuck it away and live selfishly? Folks in scripture said, what must I do to be saved? We see this all over the book of Acts. But how do we ask that question? We tend to ask it like this. How can I live according to my own will and desires and still be saved? And that's not what we see at all. I love the language here in Jeremiah chapter nine regarding wisdom and how this relates to our walk with the Lord. So chapter nine and then verses 23 and 24. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might and let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Our pursuit, our, our priority, our true value that shapes who we are as a person, shapes our marriage, shapes our family, shapes our work ethic, shapes our physical work ethic, all these other areas, is All of this comes back to our walk with God. If you're gonna boast, don't boast in all those other things. Boast that you know God and that by his mercy and his grace, he's not only saved you, 
but he's compelled you to day by day lean in and know him and walk with him. Friends, we have ample opportunity to grow in our faith and to discipline ourselves to be a man of scripture or a woman of prayer and also of worship and service. So what is it that holds you back from that? As I think about myself, um, it's, it's a contentment with lesser closeness to God. There's a, there's a lukewarmness there. Like I'm just, I'm just okay living at 80% chasing after God and keeping maybe 20 for the things I wanna do. And God sanctifies that over and over again, rebrings that up, addresses that in my heart. How about you? What holds you back? Is it your time? Is it the posture of your heart? Perhaps it's simply that you do not want to give the effort. And so I wanna encourage you to be honest with God as we work through this. It does no good to just uh, sweep it under the rug. And as we read the very first verse in Proverbs 5, verse 21, it says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. God knows our hearts. And so I wanna encourage you to be honest with God about this and ask that he would fill you each day and throughout the day with a personal zeal to work out your salvation as Philippians 2, 12, I think, 12, 10 says. Wait, Philippians 2, yeah, verses 10, 11, 12, maybe 13, somewhere in there. This is to work out our salvation. There's this, there's this conundrum we have as American Christians. I'm almost done, by the way. I can't believe it's 10 or 9. Did we start late today? I don't know. I rolled in late. I got here late. So we're talking about discipline. I wasn't even at church on time. Um, but, but there's this like conundrum we have as American Christians um, where our society does not have these external factors that force us on our knees before God every single day. If we have hardship in, our, in, in, in life, and some of you are right there, we are singing, it is well, and you're like, all day long. This is the hymn of your day, of your week. Others of you, you're just like having fun. You're like, I'm on a boat, and I'm fishing. Life is great. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with those things. However, our brothers and sisters around the world are in certain societies and cultures that um, if they were to say they're a Christian, they get shot right away. So when you have those moments, it evokes in you a desperation for God. But we don't really have to be desperate for God given our American-like things. So we have to push through that and seek God even though our material needs are met. So my, my wife's in Kenya right now with the team and uh, Neil's not here, so I didn't get a chance to cross-reference him on the, the most recent details with him. But when we first found out about this partnership, Bread of Life in Kenya, he shared how the children there, they get a meal about three times a week. And uh, I... I don't even know how to process that. Like the way you're, you know, like my, the, where does, like my brain just like freezes. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. And so when you live in that kind of society, 
there's this desperation for God's daily provision. And when your material needs um, have that in your face, it reminds you of where your posture is with your heart. Well, for us, we often do not have that. I'm not gonna say nobody. Some of you here are in situations that are quite dire, relationally or materially, uh, in your, medically, in your health. And that really forces us on our knees to get before the Lord. But genuinely, or generally, as a society, we've fought really hard to have certain um, freedoms, and with those freedoms come luxuries that make it difficult to pursue God when our material needs aren't requiring it in, um, in our face. That's kind of a whole other topic, a little more like an hour-long podcast. Um, and I don't want to focus on that, but I want to help give a little bit of, like, clarity for you if you're wondering, why do I just always struggle with this? There are, there is to some degree, there's a bunch of reasons, but one of those that doesn't get brought up a lot is the fact that we just happen to have a pretty cush life. Um, and I mean, even in the worst of the worst, if there's still like an element of you know wealthiest society in the world kind of stuff. So with that said, what area are you lacking in discipline? Let me, let me conclude by reading this same verse, Proverbs 5, 23. I'm gonna read it in one, two, three, four, five different translations. Just each one kind of hits it in a different way. And I think this will be helpful to bring out the urgency behind this. If God is stirring in your heart one way or another in, in, in how you can be disciplined, recognize what is at stake. So the New Living Translation says, he will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. New American Standard says he will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his foolishness, he will go astray. The Legacy Bible, gotta quote that one. It says he will die for a lack of discipline. And in the abundance of his folly, he will stumble in intoxication. Which I didn't say this yet, and this is the very end of the message, but that language, that word go astray or intoxication, same word in the Hebrew as a few verses before, which says husbands be intoxicated by your wife. And it's talking about that part, uh, the same word. And so you're either intoxicated by your wife or you're intoxicated by your own um, desires and whatever, how this is. Two more translations. Good news says they die because they have no self-control. They utter stupidity or their utter stupidity, will send them to their graves. And then the last one, the um, contemporary English version, says they get lost and they die because of their foolishness and lack of self-control. Each path that we choose in life, it produces a correlated outcome. You live a disciplined life unto the glory of God in the specific ways that God is challenging you and calling you to walk, not under great shame by the enemy, you do that, you produce a life that is God-glorifying, God-honoring, and a blessing to you, to your family, to others. And if you don't, you live this foolish, disastrous waste of a life. And so whichever area God is challenging you to, if, if, he's, if, he, if there are areas you are most disciplined in and you're, you're just doing well in that, thank the Lord that his grace has been at work within you and I encourage you to be a faithful steward in those areas to maximize that to the best it can be. 
case in point would be, you know, you are literally here on this, you know, so obviously you value church to some degree, and this is great. So lean into that. Make the most of this time of what it looks like to worship with one another and all that. We have several brothers and sisters who that grace is not present in their life. They are lazy in this area. There is no self-control or discipline, and they're just kind of like wandering around. Well, we need to pray that God would allow them to see the value and the importance and the urgency of worshiping with their brothers and sisters in Christ. So, you know, this is an area for you. Love it. Lean into it. Make the most of it. For the areas of your life that you would not be, that you're not disciplined in, take um, I've been viewing that as a thorn in the flesh without trying to sound too dramatic and to even take away with what Paul said um, when he used that language, which was super intense. But viewing it that way, take it to the cross and then allow God's strength to live through you in that area of weakness. I know that's kind of abstract, but that's where I'm gonna leave it for us today.